lost and hopeless. Jesus' blood can make you free. For he saved the worst among you. When he saved a wretch like me. And I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. To the faint he giveth power. Through the mountains makes a way. Findeth water in the desert. Turns the night to golden Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. In temptation, he is near thee. Holds the power of hell at bay. Guides you to the path of safety. Gives you grace for every day. He will keep thee while the ages roll throughout eternity. The earth and hell rages, all must work for good to thee. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes I know, yes I know. Yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Aren't we glad that his blood does make the vilest sinner clean, amen? amen. It's amazing sometimes. If we're not careful, we may get to thinking that maybe our sin wasn't as bad or big as some of the others uh, that other people we know committed, but the truth is... Every sin put him on that cross. It doesn't matter how little or big we think it to be. It was sin. Amen. And boy, I'll tell you what, it took as much grace to save the, the, the most innocent, you know, quote, innocent, unquote, child there is in the world uh, or the most greatest, vilest, wretched sinner that ever walked the face of the earth. It all took the same amount of grace and the same amount of blood. We thank the Lord for that. And boy, the moment we see ourselves in that light, I'll tell you what, I think we're better off, aren't we? Well, we're certainly grateful for that. We're thankful to the Lord Jesus today. Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Ruth, if you would, please. I want to read one verse out of the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 22. We're going to move along today. I know we have a baptism, so we want to keep things moving. 
this message continued to grow and grow and grow. It was, uh, you know, kind of like when you pray, you continue to grow, grow, grow. <laughs> and that's a little course we sing. But anyway, it continued to grow, grow, grow. And today I just want to look at one verse in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 22 today, and see if we can't glean something that will be a help and a benefit and a blessing to each of us today. Ruth chapter 2, verse 22. Let's go ahead and uh, read that verse together. Uh, Me allowed you silently. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any field other field. You know, in the first chapter of the book of Ruth, it's a very sad chapter. It's a tragic chapter. It contains nothing but backsliding and death. It's all that it contains. The first chapter of Ruth. Elimelech and his wife Naomi, along with all of Israel, find themselves in a horrible famine, a great famine in the land. And what is the solution of this man? This particular Elimelech and his wife Naomi, well, their solution is to leave Israel in search of sustenance, in search of supply, in search of obtaining what they need to live. So they leave Israel. They sojourn in the land of Moab, and they ultimately find themselves planted there in Moab. Moab had denied Israel passage during their wilderness wanderings. As a result of that, there was a curse on Moab. God had cursed that nation. And God had cursed any generation of Moab. And as a result of that now, uh, uh, there's this curse in place. And yet, in spite of it all, because of the famine in the land, he uproots his family, goes to Moab, and there plants himself and his family. And may I say, nothing good came of it. This was the land that they would build their home, their lives, their family. But sadly, Elimelech would die. And ultimately, the two sons would marry girls from Moab. Of course, before long, Malon and Chilion, the two sons, would also die, leaving Naomi or Orpah, interesting name, and Ruth. Now these three women are alone in the land of Moab. Alone, by themselves. No man to fend for them, no means by which to support their livelihood. Here they are now. And as a result of that, Naomi begins to think to herself, you know, maybe I ought to go back home. And she hears news that God had blessed the land, that, that once again there, were no longer, there was no longer a famine now. I mean, over ten years has passed now, and now we hear that good things are happening in, in, in Jerusalem, and excuse me, Judea, and uh, uh, also in, 
in uh, Bethlehem where they're from. And so she says, I'm going to go back home. And, and Orpah and, and uh, uh, Ruth, they say, we're going with you. You know, I mean, we have nothing here. Let's go. And so they, they begin to travel toward uh, Bethlehem. And in the midst of that uh, travels, uh, Naomi says, listen, you know what, you guys, you ought to just go back home. You know, you, you shouldn't stay with me. You shouldn't go to my home. You just need to go back to your home, back to your God's. That's a backslidden Christian right there. I guarantee you that. Yeah, that's a backslidden Christian. Sending someone that needs Christ back to their heathen gods. Doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know about you. Nonetheless, Orpah says, you know what? I'm going home. <laughs> I'm going back home, and I'll go ahead and marry. I'll go ahead and worship the gods of my people. But Ruth says, no, I'm sticking. I'm staying. Matter of fact, she says, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Naomi and Ruth, they ultimately arrive in Bethlehem. And and there is where they're going to find God's purpose and God's plan. That's where it will finally unfold. I want you to notice the time they arrive. It said in Ruth 1.22, as we began to see it, they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. See, they had no public assistance in that day. There was no way to sustain life. He, you know, God had a plan, though. He had his own way and own means by which to meet the need of the poor. And in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 through 10, we note that. Take, a Bible, take your Bible and look there very quickly at that. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. God had a plan. And here's what the plan was according to the Word of God. Leviticus chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 9 and 10. And when ye reap the harvest of your land... Thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I'm the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 24, 20 through 21, we read, When thou beatest thine olive tree, when thou, sh- uh, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterwards. It shall be for a stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. What he's saying is that the gleanings were to remain. The poor were to follow those ones that were reaping the field. Those ones that were gathering the the, the produce, if you will. And they they would continue to gather after them and follow after them. And whatever remained behind them, if they dropped some of it along the way, sometimes they just wouldn't pick it clean. Then those that would follow after the widows and the fatherless and those that were poor and in need would go behind them. And God made a way to where they were to reap and to gather that and to glean from that field so that they could live and sustain life. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, We note that Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. So as they arrive back in Bethlehem now, 
They have no money. They have no support. They have no assistance. But they're back in their land now. And, and here, here is Naomi and here is Ruth fending for themselves. And Ruth says, listen, I'm going to go glean in the fields. I'm going to go seek out some sustenance. I'm going to meet the need of our family by going into a field and gleaning what is left behind. And so she's given the green light and she goes ahead. In chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, we are introduced to a man named Boaz. We understand immediately from the passage that the Bible says he's a mighty man of wealth. And even more important than that, we're going to learn that Boaz is what is called a near kinsman. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And from this point on, it's interesting in the book of Ruth, from this point on, Boaz becomes the main subject of the book. It's no longer Ruth. It's not Naomi. Chapter 1, all about them, their family. You know what? All about the fact that they had left the land of the Lord that they had gone into the world, that they had lost everything and came back poor now. And that's exactly how every believer ends up that leaves God's house and goes into the world looking for supply and sustenance. They always come back empty-handed. And so now here they are, Boaz being the center or the subject of the book now. You say, how do you know that? Well... It's interesting to note that Boaz's name in chapter 2 alone is used 10 times. And then it's used 10 more times in chapters 3 and 4. So in 64 verses that remain in the book of Ruth, his name is used 20 times. He is the focus now of the book of Ruth. And as we're going to understand and as we learn, as we read through and study the, the book of Ruth, we recognize and understand that he is a type of Jesus Christ. And therefore, none can receive preeminence but the Lord anywhere and everywhere. And so in this book again, he becomes the center, becomes center stage. So nonetheless, it's funny too, I think, that the Bible says, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. In chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, verse 3 especially, and her hap was to light on a part. She just happened to land in Boaz's field. Isn't that something? You know, it just by chance. Coincidentally, she ended up in the field of Boaz. I don't know about you, but I don't know that, there's, that that was chance at all. I don't know that was a coincidence. I'm not convinced that was a stroke of luck. But she ends up in Boaz's field. And Boaz is a near kinsman too. Now according to the Mosaic law, a kinsman had a threefold function. When we're talking about a kinsman, we're talking about a relative. A close relative. In this case, we're going to find that Boaz was second in line. There was one kinsman or one relative that was closer that could purchase the property of a Limelech, and even 
Ruth. But Boaz is here now. And he is a near kinsman. So what is the purpose or the threefold function of the kinsman? So we understand what this really means. Well, in the case of manslaughter, say that a family member is killed. The kinsman was to do the act of the avenger of blood, it's called. So like if somebody killed my brother, then I was responsible to go kill them. That's how it worked. They had an opportunity. If they felt they were innocent, they didn't do it on purpose, they could run to one of the cities of refuge where they would be ultimately put on trial, judged. But if they didn't get to that city soon enough, or before I got to them, they died, and I was clean as a whistle. The avenger of blood. The near kinsman. Not only that, but the near kinsman, one of his other functions was in the case of misfortune. Say that for some reason someone lost their, their uh, wealth and ultimately have, were in, forced into sale, selling their properties. This near kinsman, this kinsman had the, the, the right and the, the, the opportunity to purchase that property so that it would remain in the family. And then for, thirdly, in the case of marriage, and this is where it, it kind of lands, he lands in a couple of these areas, but the kinsman was responsible to raise seed up for his brother. If his brother's wife had no children and she was a widow without children, then he as the near kinsman was to marry her and raise up seed in his name, his brother's name. You say, this is all crazy. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. That was God's law. Aren't you glad we're not under law? That's what we escape since we're not under law. Not that thou shalt not murder. And we're not under law for that one. I mean, we're still, moral law still exists, but we've escaped some of this law here. Boy, I'll tell you what, I, I'm not going any further with that one. In the case of manslaughter, in the case of misfortune, in the case of marriage, the kinsman, the near kinsman was responsible. That's the, the function that they had. And that is the place where we find Boaz now. He's the near kinsman. And Ruth, of course, has, uh, uh, is, is in nowhere land. She's in nowheresville. She didn't know where she should turn, who she should turn to. Well, here's a near kinsman now. Now, because you're a near kinsman doesn't necessarily mean that you can redeem either. Because, see, in order to redeem, there had, you had to meet some qualifications. Number one, in this case, Boaz, he had the right to redeem her. He had the right. In Ruth 2.20, it says, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, This man... Or excuse me, the man is near of kin unto us. One of our next kinsmen. He made the qualification of a kinsman redeemer then. He's near kin. But not only that, but Boaz had the resolve to redeem. He had the desire to to, to redeem her. Wouldn't it have been a tragedy if he could have redeemed her, but he had no desire to redeem her? Wouldn't it have been a tragedy if he wouldn't have purchased the land of of her her, her, uh, uh, father-in-law? If he wouldn't have uh, purchased her? If he wouldn't have allowed her to become part of Israel? 
Wouldn't have been horrible if she was on the outside? Do you realize that as a Moabite, that if, even if she, she, she could not go to the temple, she could not worship the God of Israel as a Moabitess? She could not, even her children couldn't, her grandchildren couldn't, her great-grandchildren couldn't, her great-great-grandchildren couldn't. For ten generations, she would not be permitted to have any part in the worship of God. And what, what the Bible's really saying is that she was done. Her goose was cooked. She was on her way to hell. That's what the Bible's saying. But thank God there was somebody that was willing to redeem her. His name was Boaz. Boaz had a resolve to redeem her. Not just the right to, but the resolve. He said, I want her to be part of my family. I want her to be my wife. I want her in my home. Now, again, being a Moabite, again, remember, she was cursed of God to the 10th generation. So, if you insert a Moabite in your bloodline, it may affect your ability to have the Messiah. At least that was the thought. That was the concern. You say, why do you bring that up? Because, remember, even though Boaz was near kinsmen, there was another one that was closer to her. Another one that could have purchased her. Another one that could have redeemed her. And yet, when... Boaz approaches that particular kinsman, the one who is next in line, the first in line. He says, listen, uh, you know, you heard that Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, have come to Bethlehem. And their property is for sale. His property, Elimelech's, is for sale. He said, I want to purchase it. I want to redeem it. He says, don't forget, however, that Ruth is with her mother-in-law, and if you purchase the land, you also have to raise seed to Ruth and her husband. And he went, I can't do that. That'll mess up my bloodline. A Moabite in my bloodline? Are you kidding me? I want nothing to do with her. Nothing at all. Fine, you want her? You can have her. And you know what Boaz says? Yes. Sounds good to me. And so he does. Interestingly, Boaz wasn't so concerned with the purity purity of his pedigree. He wasn't as worried about that. You want to know why? Salmon had married Rahab the harlot. You say, who's Salmon? Well, Boaz's daddy. So now we have... Boaz, who already has a Canaanite in his land and in his pedigree. And now, he's going to have a child with Ruth. And this is, I think this is awesome. He has a child by the name of Obed. Obed has a child named Jesse. And Jesse has a boy named David. Isn't that good? So see, God's grace is sufficient, man. It's awesome. You know, this guy didn't want to touch this Moabite with a 10-foot pole. And man, Boaz is like, come on, baby. Come home to Papa. This is going to be great. We're going to have a wonderful life together. Boy, he purchased her and redeemed her. He was her kinsman redeemer. Wouldn't it have been tragic, though, if Boaz would have had the, the right to redeem? If he would have had the the resolve, the desire. But he wouldn't have had the resources. 
Wouldn't it have been horrible if he didn't have enough to get the job done? Wouldn't it have been horrible if he couldn't have purchased the land and then purchased the Moabite? Wouldn't it have been horrible? It wouldn't have mattered how much he wanted to purchase her. He had to have the means by which to do it. He had to have... Listen, redemption is a costly process. It costs a lot to redeem. And we know that he was a mighty man of wealth. We've got a pretty mighty man of wealth, too, that's concerned about us, don't we? Amen. That's good. Amen. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He entered the human race. You often wonder, why did He have to become a man? Well, He had to become the kinsman redeemer. He had to be next of kin. He couldn't do that as God and us as man, so He had to take on the form of sinful flesh. He became a man. Therefore, he could be next of kin. And therefore, we were available to be purchased and redeemed. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, entered the human family so that we could enter the heavenly family. I mean, he became near of kin to Adam's ruined race. So that we might have the right to be redeemed. He became the Son of Man so that the Son of Men could become the sons of God. In 1 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. He became flesh. See, that's the heart of the gospel. Therein lies the heart of the gospel, right there. The man is near of kin unto us. Ruth said. You want to know something? You know what Jesus is? He's near of kin to us. Isn't that interesting? Amen. He's near of kin. And you know what? It was in that very place that they were at, Bethlehem, where the, the kinsman redeemer showed up on the earth 2,000 years ago. And he looked at you and I and he said, listen, you don't have nothing to offer me. You are a cursed generation. You are sinners at the very root of your being. I can have nothing to do with you. And so God devised a plan so that we could be redeemed. So that we could be purchased out of the clutches of Satan and sin. So that we could ultimately become part of His family. We could be redeemed. Made part of His union. And Jesus Christ became a man. Lived a life on earth, sinless and perfect, and there died a perfect sacrifice. And our next, our kinsman redeemer offers us the same opportunity that was offered to Ruth today. And says, although your sin has cursed you, although you are rejected because of your, your roots in Adam, the fact is, is that I will redeem you myself if you only come to me. Remember, Ruth went to her, went to him, just like she was instructed by Naomi. And there laid at the feet of Boaz and said, here I am. And what she was really saying is, marry me, marry me, marry me. She wasn't immoral. Her integrity was very, very, very known. There was not an issue there of immorality whatsoever. She didn't go there to commit immorality. She went there to offer herself to be wife. And he said, there is a nearer kinsman than me. I'll check with him and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And boy, did he ever the next day. And that's exactly how you and I come to Christ. 
We don't come worthy. We come unworthy. But we must come nonetheless. And there we lay at the feet of the Lord Jesus and at the cross of Calvary. And we beg for the mercy of God and say, Oh God, forgive me. Oh Lord, save my soul. Oh God, redeem me. And He will and does if we simply offer ourselves to Him. There we see the doctrinal implication and application of that of the book of Ruth. But I, I want to today, in just the next couple of minutes, and I mean very quickly, I want to consider Ruth chapter 2, verse 22, and make just one simple application. Here it is now. Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. It's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens and that they meet thee not in any other field. Whose field are you gleaning in today? Whose field? The thought is that Ruth should allow Boaz alone to meet her every need. Don't be found in another man's field. Don't be found somewhere other than Boaz's field. That's not good. It's good that you choose to go to his field alone, that you allow him to meet your needs, that you allow him to sustain your life, that you allow him to provide for you and to protect you. You stay in his field. And only his field. Sadly, it seems that if we're not careful in the the Christian life, we're prone to go out into the world and to glean in any field that we believe will sustain us and our families. We're willing to discard him in order to feel safe, to experience what we would consider supply and sustenance. Ruth heeds the advice of Naomi. And then every day she goes out, oh, she wandered onto that field uh, unknowingly, uh, unwittingly. But boy, she met Boaz. And once she met Boaz, her life changed completely. And now her mother-in-law says, don't go anywhere else. Don't you glean in anyone else's field. Don't you allow anyone else to provide and protect you. You now let Boaz do that. He's capable. He is qualified. He is able. And he has a desire to do only what's best for you. And she obeyed that. You know, that's exactly what the Lord's asking and requiring and demanding of us today. Oh, he won't make us do that. But he certainly desires that we do that. That we go nowhere else and to no one else other than him to meet our needs and to provide for us and protect us. In Philippians 4.19 the Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hey, Jesus made it clear that we're to be totally dependent on Him. In John 15, 5, we read, 
I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. See, whether we understand it or not, whether we can conceive or perceive it or not, we cannot truly be fulfilled out in the world. There will always be something missing in our heart. There will always be a void if we seek to provide for our needs anywhere other than Him. We should be wise to possess the perspective of Peter found in the Gospels. Take your Bible, look at John 6, 66. John chapter 6, verse 66. Jesus Christ had been sharing the fact that He was the bread of life. He'd been very clear that all must partake of Him or perish. But if you partake of Him, you'll live forever. Boy, they misunderstood His message. And the Bible tells us in John 6, 66, it says, From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Who are we going to go to, Lord? Who's going to provide for us like you? Who's going to meet our need like you? Who's going to protect us like you? Who's going to do for us what you do? No one can. We're not leaving. But many did. Many did. Isn't that sad to think of that? Be careful before you take that next job. Be careful before you make that decision to marry the next person. Be careful before you choose to be a part of that next group or buy that vacation home or join some club. You be real careful. Because if we're not careful, what happens is is we do those things to meet a need. And when we discard God in the process... We've just gone out to glean in other fields. Because God wasn't enough anymore in our life. Oh, we wouldn't say it quite like that. But be careful that that's not what we're doing. Sadly enough, I think we do that. I'm convinced of it. I know in my own life how easy it is to turn to things or to others instead of Him. Psalms chapter 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 44, 6 through 7 says, For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies, and thou hast put them to shame that hated us. Psalm 49, 6 and 7, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can buy... None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Psalm 118, 8 and 9. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Psalm 146, verse 3. Put not your trust.
trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 lays it straight. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Verse 7, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. First Timothy six seventeen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And finally, Hebrews 2, 13. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Now, we're going to trust God. We're not going to glean in any other fields. We're not going to allow ourselves to wander off in hope of finding something that's a little bit better. Years ago, I used to listen to a song, me and my brothers. It was our favorite song in the world. We had a little bit of a little teeny, little teeny uh, record player. Played 45s. I was just a kid. I was probably two and a half. We'd turn that little thing on and it'd get to spinning and we'd set that needle on top. I know most of you don't even have a clue what I'm talking about. Set the needle on top of that record and start and it'd start going, green, green, the grass is green on the far side of the hill. Green, green, the grass is green and it's greener ever still. You say, that's a stupid song. That's the point. It was just, we were kids. Now listen to me. Green, green, the grass is green on the far side of the hill. Green, green, the grass is green and it's greener ever still. You know what it's saying? The grass always looks greener over there. You want to know something? That's how it is in the believer's life. If we're not careful, the devil will sell us a bit of good, bill of goods and we look over in that field over there. We're gleaning in this field and we start to think God's not being gracious enough. There's not enough left here for me. Me and my family deserve something better and something more and my needs aren't being met and I feel emotionally just, just drained and, and I don't feel like I'm being elevated and lifted up and supported like I ought to be. I don't feel like I'm being recognized like I should be. I'm just having a problem here in this field. I'm looking around and it looks like it's better over there. We need to heed the advice of Naomi today. It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens and that they meet thee not in any other field. Don't be seen anywhere but in his field. Allow him to meet your need. When he casts his eyes over this world, and he does, the Bible says, don't let him find you gleaning in the world's fields. Can you imagine how disappointed Boaz would have been? He meets this lovely Moabitess. I got to believe she was probably a looker. That's just, in my mind, I want to believe that. I mean, why would this guy be so enamored with her right off the bat? Obviously, she caught his eye. Because he comes to the field and he says, hey, who's that? whose maiden is that? He obviously saw her and went, I'm just curious. Whose maiden is that? She's not spoken for? Really? He finds out and he goes, oh, I've heard of her. That, that's Naomi. The Naomi that came back, or excuse me, the Ruth that came back with Naomi. 
And she has treated her mother-in-law with such respect and such, and has lifted her up and helped her and met her needs along the way. Man, she's not only a beautiful woman, but she's a woman of character. See, I believe Boaz fell in love with her very soon, very quickly. He began to show her some favors and give her a little bit more and take care of her and her mother-in-law. Can you imagine if, as his emotions and as his heartstrings began to be attached to this woman, he goes to his field one day and he sees her there. And he says, wow, I thank you, Lord, for the day you sent her to me. What a blessing she's been to me, and I hope one day to be her husband. And then he goes home that night and goes back to work the next day. And while he's going back to work, before he gets to his field, he looks over and he sees her gleaning in another man's field. Apparently, I'm not enough. Apparently, she thinks that she can find something better. Do you know, it's interesting what Boaz says to her. And I'm going to close with this, but... Let's find it here. I don't really know where it's at right off the top of my head. I need to skim through this book real quick. The book of Ruth. You're there. I, I have to get back to it here. I'm going to close with this passage here. Let me get to it here. I'll tell you what. There it is. Judges. Ruth. It's so good. I just want to find it. Maybe you can help me real quick. Um, somebody find where he says to her that you you choose the you didn't choose the young men. Three ten. Yes. Uh, yep. There it is. Look at um, chapter three, verse ten of Ruth. Here's what Boaz says to her. Remember, she's laying at his feet now. He says, "Who are you?" She says, "I'm Ruth, thine handmaid." For thou art a near kinsman. And he said, verse 10, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shewed me more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Isn't that something? That's just amazing to me. Ruth appreciated this man and his generosity so much that she ultimately surrendered her all to him. Can you imagine again if he would have seen her gleaning in another man's field? How that would have broken his heart. You know, we break our Lord's heart when we glean in other fields. God help us to glean in his alone. To not cast our, our eye on the young or on the glittery or on that which seems to provide us with such great expectation and hope but instead trust that the Lord Jesus Christ alone is sufficient and is enough. And all will be better off for it. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? Has He redeemed you out of the clutches of Satan and out of sin? Do you know without a doubt you're forgiven, saved on your way to heaven, that you're part of the family of God? That's what happens when He redeems you, when He purchases you with His own blood. You've never settled your salvation. You need to settle that today. And if you're a child of God today, May God help us not to glean in any other fields, 
but instead glean in his field and seek supply, sustenance, and fulfillment only in the field of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just your love and grace.